What story is the world not getting? I'm Dr. Adrienne McKeon, AKA the Story Whisperer. As a creation coach, my purpose is to help humans reconnect to themselves, to each other, and to the boundless creative energy that flows through each and every one of us. By releasing our unique perspectives and relatable experiences in the form of inspirational stories, not only do we give the world a precious gift that is ours alone to give, we help them really get our core message and come to a deeper understanding of the universal wisdom within it. Are you ready to reconnect? Good, because that's allowed. Hey everyone, we have here the wonderful Jesse Shedden. Once again, I'm gonna do a little supplement to our podcast that's coming out this Thursday because I think this is so incredibly topical. And what a what a blessing that I happen to have this expert on the subject of kind of cult deprogramming. <laughs> so what I'm gonna do here is I'm just gonna, basically what I wanna talk about is QAnon. It is the big elephant in the room right now. A lot of people are dealing with this, with friends, with family, um, with people on the internet. Some of you know a lot about it. Some of you know nothing about it. So I'm gonna start with the assumption that you have no idea what QAnon is. And I'm just gonna read a little bit from the Wikipedia page here so that we're all on the same page, literally. So QAnon is a disproven and discredited far-right conspiracy theory alleging that a secret cabal of Satan-worshipping, cannibalistic pedophiles, yep, you heard right, is running a global child sex trafficking ring and plotting against former U.S. President Donald Trump, who has been fighting the cabal. U.S. prosecutors have called QAnon a group commonly referred to as a cult. There are, uh, this is just me adding, there are, of course, religious overtones to this as well. It's, you know, as it's a Satan, you know, satanic worshiping group, there are, of course, angels and people on the, the light side, the good side that are fighting this, that have put Donald Trump in this place in the conspiracy theory. So you see, it's like a whole cosmic worldview. And so some people, you know, it's not just the far right that has kind of glommed onto this. It's light workers and it's people who believe, really believe that they are fighting for good. They are doing the right thing. And so I just want people to understand this. It's not just like, you know, crazy wingnut out there, people who are buying into this. It's like your next door neighbor, Karen. Okay. So QAnon asserts that Trump is planning a day of reckoning known as the storm when thousands of members of the cabal will be arrested. QAnon supporters have accused many liberal Hollywood actors, democratic polit politicians, and high-ranking govern government officials of being members of the cabal. They have also claimed that Trump feigned conspiracy with Russians to enlist Robert Mueller to join him in exposing the sex trafficking ring and preventing a coup d'etat by Barack Obama, Hillary Clinton, and George Soros. The QAnon conspiracy theories have been amplified by Russian state-backed troll accounts on social media, as well as Russian state-backed traditional media. So that kind of gives us a, a, a starting point here, right? What I find most interesting about this is that it's, it, because it's so high level, you know, this is like Illuminati type stuff. It's so easy to say, well, of course we have no evidence because they've covered up everything. And so 
you can pre present just about anything. You can cherry pick kind of just about anything as evidence that this conspiracy is is real. And that's when things get really dangerous. So my first question to you is just hearing that, what is your take on this? Is this a cult? That's a really interesting one because I'm what's going through my head as I'm listening to you is the similarities I see between the cult I came from um, and QAnon um, is that it's it, the basic premise is something that's actually got good at heart. So for right. mine, it was Christianity. Um, in this one, I see the paedophilia and, and the wanting to do right. But I see massive extremism Mm -hmm. um around the good at heart right. and then a lot of very innocent people being hurt through that um right. those being perpetrated and those doing the perpetrating um and it, it's just yeah that, that's just what's come to me and it's i think i've completely forgotten what your question was i just had that on my head and i needed that's, to deliver no that that answers my question absolutely so the other thing that i think is really dangerous about this is that there's this militarism behind it there's this violence behind it where we're saying not just you know these are there's these satan worshiping you know uh cannibals that we need to save children from but we need to hurt them we need to kill them we need to attack them to save these children whenever you get into that kind of rhetoric where you're saying, you know, there needs to be this, this kind of day of reckoning, this apocalyptic event for, you know, to purify, or it's like, that's when things get really scary and dangerous. And this, this particular danger is that because, you know, there was this attack on the Capitol by largely people who believe this conspiracy theory, uh, the, the bloodshed has already started, right? This has become real. They've made the bloodshed real. Now, when you look at the kind of, like you said, the basic premise of this, it's like people who are good at heart who want to do the right thing. And so it really saddens and sickens me to see these people. And I, I know people who believe this. I know people who believe this personally. And they're good people. And so it really saddens and sickens me to see these people used as puppets and used as kind of patsies and scapegoats for these people who have, you know, their own, of course, political agendas. So like you There's, said, you know, people are getting hurt. Yeah, yeah. And what I see um, that's interesting in, in what came up for me and what you were saying then is you get crusaders whose yeah. it's their modus operandi, this, and this goes into something I was going to cover a bit later on, but they have a burning desire to do something for good. They feel that they have a passion and it's their calling in life. And they find something that relates to that to, for them. And they put absolutely everything into it. Yes. And it becomes um, very much one end or the other of the pendulum. There's no there's no balance in it. And I've seen that in, in the cult I was in. Um, in fact, interestingly enough, I, I think, as we said before, they feel like they're doing something good. Mm -hmm. But I've actually seen one who was within it and absolutely full out doing everything he could to promote it and as soon as something went wrong he hopped entirely across to the other side and now he's doing absolutely everything he can to bring it down and i've had to stand back and say 
you know what, this person has a characteristic of the crusader. That's how he lives yeah. his life, is in full overdrive, pursuing something to the extreme, because that feels fulfilling for him. Yes. And so it doesn't really matter what the cause is or who it is. It's just the base need to fulfill yeah. that. I would be fascinated as an outsider, particularly if I, I was close to these people and I'm not close to the one I'm talking about, so I haven't done it, but to stand back and say, why? why does this person have this need what is this need coming from what is unfulfilled in them that that they're putting it into something like this yeah that's i I think you're absolutely right and so many of these people just have felt like their lives have lost meaning and purpose and so they're they've been seeking purpose and this gave them that sense of purpose and community and that's what has been driving it. Yes. And so we have to look at that and say, you know, how can we create something positive for these people to put this wonderful energy <laughs> towards? Yes, yes. And I think also, you know, it's looking at how we can find something that taps into the base premise of what they were trying to do. So if yes. it is around, say, paedophilia, what is it they can, on sex trafficking, what is it that they can do in a good way around that to help? To actually save the children, yes. Yes, yes. Now, when you look at, so, so of course, we just had the inauguration. That was really devastating for a lot of these QAnon folks because they kept waiting for the storm and kept, you know, getting these prophecies or these, you know, predictions of like, it's going to happen on this date, didn't happen. It's going to happen on this date, didn't happen. And so now that Donald Trump is no longer president, they've kind of either, a lot of them are jumping ship and saying, well, it didn't happen. What now? You know, I put my whole life into this. I lost my family. I lost my friends. I lost my job, you know, to this cause. Now what? But then you have the other side where they're really digging in deeper and just finding ways to make it work still and saying you have to have faith. You know, you can't lose faith. Uh, This is all just a test to test our faith. And the truth is, it goes so deep that even you know, that we now have a shadow government that was actually, you you know, who you thought was Joe Biden getting sworn in. That was actually Donald Trump in a state-of-the-art Joe Biden mask. That's why Donald Trump couldn't be there at the inauguration. This is how far people will go to make sense of something that doesn't make sense anymore. Mm -hmm. So my, my, you know, my deepest question to you, I think, is how can we help these people? How can we help them? it's so fascinating to hear you go over all of that because I knew none of that about the inauguration I'd briefly looked up um, the organization before we came on but there's so many parallels there are so many parallels and that's it's and I I can certainly see why people are, are referring to it as a cult for that reason I think for those who have become as it were disenchanted with the whole thing um and I think I think anyway the one thing i would want to do is to give them a way to save face right right Um, absolutely so there's a phrase that i remember over and over again which is no one runs into the arms of a prison warder right so if you're going to come at them with judgment and expectations and conditions you're not giving them a space in which to reconsider their position and gently step down from it if that's what they decide they want to do absolutely um i i i think in terms of 
those that are holding to it that's a that's a hard a harder one to I wouldn't say crack to handle um because yes I, I can see it in in where I came from and the only reason I'm laughing is because I can see it there not because I'm discrediting anybody that's currently in the situation mm-hmm. um because yes, it was like, this is a test. And it's that, it is that you just, there's more and more mythical layers added um, yes. to keep the person in, in the place that they were supposed to be. Yeah. For myself, um, I can, I can only give you my experiences. I can't tell you what somebody should do, but in the two years after I escaped, I didn't want to look at any of it. So I didn't, I didn't touch it at all. Didn't look at anything through a new lens. Um, I just kind of denied to myself it even happened. That was my only way. It was just like a, a cold break and I carried on with another life. But I didn't hate or speak badly about my past life. I just didn't even acknowledge it. And it took till the third year where I felt in a safe space where I was not going to receive judgment mm-hmm. and I was going to receive unconditional love that I could stand back and start to make contact with people who had taken the journey I had taken already um so I think you get kind of I was going to say the early adopters and the slow adopters the early adopters who decide you know this is it I'm done with it and I'm I'm happy to go and talk to other people about it and try and make sense of the whole thing and then you've got those who just need to take it their own journey there is no there's no standard procedure for deprogramming from a cult at all everybody arrives at different things in their own way many of them are very traumatized by things that they've come into contact with during that time and there's a lot of guilt guilt and shame around it you know these these, as we said before a lot of them come from wanting to do something good when they stand back and realize that that good caused harm there's a lot of shame and guilt about that because they were inherently a good person in the first place but they've been sidetracked um and i think you know just well, for myself in the third year I was finally ready to start to reach out to people who had taken that journey because I missed them yeah I missed that sense of community that sense of belonging yeah. and I needed to be able to talk to people who had been through the journey I'd been through to make sense of it absolutely but but I tiptoed in so yeah. I would start tiptoeing and then they would say something that would trigger me and I would reverse out at top speed and then I would come back and have another go yeah. And it's been really gradual and it's, yeah, it's taken the best part of a year for me to start to see things. And now I can kind of laugh at some of the things that we did that in the past I would have probably justified. Yeah. And I'm still not there. There are still higher level things that I don't see any problem with. I would not do them and I would not suggest anybody else did them, but I don't, um, I haven't judged them and I'm not ready to look at that yet. And I don't know that it's your job to judge it. Do you know what I'm saying? I do. I think at a certain level, it's not even really helpful to judge or condemn it. It's helpful to say, this isn't working for me. And I don't want to be a part of it because it's not in line with my values. Yeah, I I see it's particularly see it in the case in which you're talking about. But again, in mine, I think it's more important for me to have arrived at what's right for me in terms of it's no longer right for me and then to do what I can to perpetrate um, the opposite if you know what I mean so so Mm -hmm. either so um, lack of judgment 
towards people, which cults tend to encourage a lot of judgment, a lot of heaviness and heavy emotions. And it's like, well, okay, I'm going to be the opposite of that now. Or um, what can I do to undo what's happened? But I don't need to spend time muckraking through it. Yeah. I'm feeling the pain of it. It's okay. What can I do that I wouldn't say makes up for, but kind of achieves what I wanted to achieve out of my pure motives in the first place? Exactly. Yeah. And I think that's the key is finding something positive to go toward instead yes. of constantly fighting against this negative because the thing is what you resist persists. And so whether you're fighting against, you know, shame or you're fighting against a a satanic cabal, when you put energy against something, it strengthens it. It strengthens it. I love that. And it's such a timely (laughs) reminder for me as well. So thank you. Absolutely. Absolutely. All right. Uh, I, I want to keep this brief because, of course, we have a, a whole wonderful show uh, to, ha- to, you know, to listen to with you. But I just wanted to set this up to, so that people can understand that this is still happening and this is happening all around you. And whether you're aware of it or not, there are a lot of people right now who are looking for something to believe in. And this was offered to them as something, a, a way to do real good in the world, to save children. And are there children being sex trafficked right now? You bet there are. Are there horrible, awful, cannibalistic rituals probably happening somewhere in the world? Yeah, there probably are. Does that mean that there's a shadow government and that there's you know, a, 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 a spiritual war being waged? Probably not. But we, you know, I mean, I don't know. I'm not the expert in the world, but the bottom line is when somebody tells you, you need to hurt people to do good, that is when you should always go, uh, wait a minute, that doesn't sound right to me. Absolutely. That's my personal values. (laughs) I was raised Quaker, so. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. And I think so much, I see a lot of emotion and energy being used in a negative way rather than actually constructively if you look at some of these people that are working in sex trafficking they're not the raging people that go around wanting to lock people's heads off they know that's not how you make a real difference in that world yeah absolutely well thank you so much for this is there anything else you'd like to say on this before we wrap up no my own well yes (laughs) (laughs) my my, the one underlying thing I would say is if you're dealing with someone that's considering their position on it Mm -hmm. unconditional love and acceptance that does not mean you have to agree with what they think and that you have to change your values to align with that but unconditional love and acceptance was the safe space that gave me the ability to stand back and look at stuff and go well this doesn't make sense Thank you so much. You're welcome. Hey, everyone. Welcome to the That's Allowed podcast. This is your hostess, Audrey and McKeon, and I'm here with Jesse Shedden. Hey, Jesse, how are you doing? I'm doing great. Thank you for having me. Absolutely. So let's jump right in. What story is the world not getting? Well... I guess from my perspective, it would be one of what it's like to escape a cult. Mm -hmm. And what is that like? 
And I think I should follow that up with and what the ramifications are. Mm, absolutely. So where where does this story start for you? In terms of escaping the cult, that was th just three years ago. Wow. Um, but to go further back than that, I was born into it. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So it's kind of all I've ever known. Yeah. And the story doesn't... I was going to say it doesn't end when you leave. It almost begins right. when you leave, really. Absolutely. But tell us a little bit about what it was like to live in a cult, and to be raised in a cult. Interestingly, I think some of that I'm still discovering. Mm. Because when you've grown up so conditioned, you really don't see it any other way. Right. Um, obviously, some of the basics are really clear. So for for my situation, um, I was unable to wear jeans or trousers. Um, we were unable to socialize or eat with people outside of it, certainly not have relationships outside of it. Um, there were a definitive number of things that women could do in life. So um, owning or running a business um, was out of the question. Right. Homemaking was very much in, and that was predominantly your role. Certainly, you wouldn't have a business if you were in a relationship and your husband was at home looking after children. That was just not a possibility. Right. So very, very um, staid mm -hmm. social typicals. Yeah. And no visiting pubs, clubs, nightclubs, restaurants, bars. Um, no smoking, no drugs not such a bad thing um very ultra conservative certainly no questioning on the part of women as well right no university no college wow yeah a lot of no's yes but then you also yeah <laughs> but then you also get a lot of protection and support that you realize isn't there when you leave yes so it wouldn't have been uncommon for me to walk into another cult member's house and know that I could put my car keys down my wallet everything driving license a lot and never have to worry about it because yes. you're a very tight-knit community if you're going to do something you're a bit of an idiot because everyone's going to know very right. quickly yeah there is certainly a sense of safety there yes to a degree so yes you didn't expect violence or um physical harm mm -hmm. but the backstabbing the criticizing mm -hmm. that was all there in plentiful quantities yeah. so that brings me to the next question which is what made you realize that you needed to make a change there's kind of two ways to that parts to that I suppose one is the gradual it's like from the age of eight I was on the on the raw end of bullying and I just knew that I didn't really fit nothing really felt right um, particularly when I came to looking at relationships, I was like, I knew that the older I got, the less I felt like I belonged. Um, because the less I could pursue who I was in myself and the options just weren't there for what I wanted. So my sticking points came in. I didn't really like any of the options that were available in terms of relationships. Um, I didn't actually feel it was my calling to have children and I knew I wouldn't have an option on that. And 
I wanted to stay very much as a businesswoman and I wouldn't have an option on that either. Yeah. So if you take away all of those, that you're not going to end up in a relationship with anybody, so you're going to stay in your family home. You're not allowed to own a business, so you're still going to have to work for somebody no matter what age you are. And that you were expected to have children if you did get into a relationship. Things were looking pretty bleak. Yeah. So you decided? Yeah, so the, the main catalyst, I suppose, came when very suddenly my mother was diagnosed with cancer at the age of 66. Okay. And we never planned for that. I mean, you don't, but more specifically... Who plans for that? <laughs> I know, crazy for me to say that. But more specifically, she was eight years younger than my father, so we'd always planned for him passing on first. Right. We'd set her up financially. We'd made sure the house was all ready for that. And if I can say it kindly, he was the one who enjoyed being ill. She never did. She never complained about her health. She worked really hard to have good health. Yeah. So it was totally unexpected. It was like, this wasn't supposed to happen this way. Yeah. And I think because we had planned for the opposite, it was like, who are you fooling, Jesse? You don't know how much longer you've got. Yeah. And you're not happy now. You can't wait till some undefined time in the future to change that. Yeah. So what did you do? I was to go a stage back again. Mm -hmm. I had found myself uh, being sexually abused at the age of 16, Oof. partly as a product of no sex education, um, no education around relationships at all. So total. I mean, I, I guess there's a lot of lack of understanding around the difference between lust and love, but specifically more because there just was such a lack of teaching in that area. Yeah. And that was actually by somebody outside the cult, not within it. And then at the time that wasn't seen as that. It was seen that it was my fault. So I ended right. up being uh, kind of dragged over the coals by priests who were a very similar age to the person who had done this, who mm -hmm. wanted to know all the minor details, which was a a pretty traumatic experience yeah um as i was healing from that or attempting to in my own kind of shut-in way because there was no one really to talk to in the perspective that it wasn't actually my fault um i met someone outside the cult who believed in me which was kind of it felt like one of the first people to actually do that yeah and at the time i thought i loved him <laughs> because he believed in me sure and we went on to have kind of a very much contraband dating situation for about four years, but I'm talking about 20 minutes snatched here and there. Yeah. Um, so that was when I was 18 and then it was discovered. I was again kind of in the doghouse for having like a second relationship in their eyes. Um, and I went from being already under house watch to being even more intensive house watch. So I wasn't able, you know, from 18 onwards, I was not able to go out shopping on my own. I didn't go anywhere on my own. Things were often done for me. I wasn't trusted. I was accountable for every minute of my time. Um, my bedroom, anything, any of my devices, not that I had many, were open to being scrutinized. And there was just no safe place to be myself at all. And then... Once that was discovered after four years, um, I was made under duress to write him a letter and tell him that I didn't love him anymore. And contact ceased. Um, I was issued to burn things that he'd given me, all contact details I had to get rid of. 
And so we went for about eight, nine years and we never, we never had nothing to do with each other. He realized it would make it very difficult for me if he dared to make contact sure. again. So he, course, he didn't yeah. want to bring more pain on me mm-hmm. and kept out of the way. And then things just got harder and harder for our family. You know, they were under a lot of pressure, a lot of discrimination, bullying. I saw my father being just ripped to shreds by hypocrisies and wrongdoings within the cult itself and when you're very close to your parents it's soul destroying to see that and and because you're a woman you're supposed to shut up and not say anything mm-hmm. um you can't do much and if you do you bring more problems on them yeah. and the, the just the unrest in me just it got to a point where i just i couldn't ignore it anymore and so I reached out to the guy I'd been in contact with previously, just very tentatively, because I felt I couldn't go to my deathbed, him thinking that I didn't love him because it wasn't true. I wanted to put that right. And it just as soon as we saw each other, the connection was like that. We were just, it was like there'd never been any time apart. However, he was in a relationship, a coexisting relationship, not necessarily a blossoming one but still in one and I was then in this yeah I'm now treading on somebody else's relationship but he was my hope I'm in such a dark place I don't want to let go of that hope Mm -hmm. he didn't want to let go of me because he remembered what it was like back then and it was a very difficult position to be in um on top add to that your mother then getting diagnosed with cancer as well so it was all kind of layering up at the same time yeah (laughs) And I reached out to a counsellor and I was like, it took me three attempts to find a counsellor that actually was a counsellor is what I'd say. The first one just tried to fleece me mm. um, and had no qualifications and was nothing more than a sleazy salesperson. Um, the second one actually was degrading and did, just did not have the empathy there at all. And third one, finally, I was like, is this meant to happen? You know, <laughs> how yeah. many tries? And with his help I was able to see that I could actually leave I could find hope outside of the guy that I was leaning on at that point in time Mm -hmm. and find the strength to be able to plan a way out because even thinking about leaving was you're doing the unthinkable prior to me leaving in the particular church I was in the, the last person before that was 23 years prior so it doesn't happen often Yeah. So a couple of things that come up for me, first of all, I find it, I always find it so ironic when I see religious control like that, because God is very clear on this point in any religious text you ever read that humans have free will for a reason. They have to choose for themselves. (laughs) It doesn't count if somebody does it for you. And so this this obsession with controlling the behavior of other people is completely contrary to any teaching, any religious teaching in any tradition. So that's one. (laughs) I have two answers to that, but keep going. Yes. And the other thing is, I just want to really congratulate you because it's what you did was incredibly difficult, incredibly brave. And the fact that you sought out counseling, knowing that you were going to need that kind of inner help, not just external help, was so wise of you to realize that. And to not give up after it didn't work 
over and over to try to find that right fit to, to find someone to help you. That kind of deliberateness is really rare. And so I just really want you to take a moment to like pat yourself on the back for that, because that is a big deal. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you. And I think looking back, some of the, because so much has happened since, yeah, because the transition isn't smooth. Oh, um, no. <laughs> I think the intensity of some of the intensity of that time has been buried under other layers. Yeah. But yeah, I totally hear you on the two previous, the, the previous point you made, because I think one of the things I, as I came more and more towards leaving, I would read a lot about dictatorships and communist countries. So the North Korea, I was reading quite a lot about. Mm -hmm. um, and I also looked at other cults, I suppose. Um, so I was looking at the Amish and the Mennonites. And one of the things I liked about the Amish was that they actually have Rumspringer where you can go and test it out and see what you want for yourself. Right. And I was thinking, do you know, that's, that's, it gives, it puts the power back into the hands. You don't feel so powerless. You don't. And I think the, far, the fact that you feel so powerless, you resent more because you don't have that choice. You don't have the yeah. ability to make that choice. Whereas I think they get the opportunity to go and try stuff. And we never did. And I think also one thing, because everything was dictated for you, you never had to really make those decisions. So it sounds awful. And I still kind of feel this way because my, my, I think my faith is finding its balance at the minute. It's just finding its level as to where it wants to be. Yeah. But I couldn't tell somebody when I'd been converted. I had no idea because I'd been so brought up in the whole thing. I didn't know when my first interaction with Christ really was because it just, I don't know. I've I, been having communion since I was a week old. So right. I can't put my... You know, do you know what I mean? I didn't have to yeah. actually do that work. Mm -hmm. There's no, again, and I, no I could see it for others around. Yeah, there's no choice there. No. Yeah. Yeah. And you could see that for many others in there that um, it's kind of an entitlement. It's like you've been, you've just been given it. Yeah. which I didn't, it just didn't feel authentic. And the, the hypocrisy, I think that's one reason why I haven't gone back to a faith at the minute. I feel like I'm just in this nominal believer situation that I feel like I believe, I don't practice particularly. And I'm certainly not in a position to trust another congregation right now because there's so much hypocrisy, so much damage done. Uh, as I said, when I left, you know, I can worship him wherever I want on my own, you know, lying in bed, looking at the ceiling. I don't have to be doing something specific and I certainly don't have to be with a group of people. And I think because I've been so heavily let down by a group of people or in my view, I would be quick to find that again in others. And I know no congregation is perfect. They're just a bunch of imperfect people trying to become perfect. You know, <laughs> I wouldn't want to join a perfect one anyway, because I would make it imperfect immediately. But it's just that... <laughs> potential to be let down and I think I'm just not in the right place for it yeah to trust yeah so you said you know obviously the the path was not easy still is not easy what are the ongoing challenges for you I think probably the first two for me leaving was establishing who you can and can't trust and finding friends I mean obviously I've left from a situation where I, I had probably three people I knew outside of it. And one was an osteopath, um, one was my dentist, um, 
a couple of councillors who I'd got to know on a local level in the government and there was a photographer because I was a photographer at the time that was it and none of those can you lean on and you're you're needing support at that point in time you know they've got their own lives they're not equipped to deal with somebody that's left a cult of which they know nothing about so finding a support circle finding people you know it's still very I think it comes home to me more when I'm talking to people who say, oh, yeah, I knew them from school. And you're like, well, that's nice for you. You know, I don't have friends that are 20, you know, I've known for 20 years that I can trust. And I know their upbringings and their lives. I really don't. And as I've continued to develop myself over the last three years, many of the people I have got to know, I have decided not to surround myself with anymore, not yeah. to be in their company, because mm-hmm. I've learned you're not healthy you know you're not what I need so that's the first that was probably the first thing because it's very lonely when you're on your own with no one else around you've come from congregation that you saw daily and then secondly it would be relationships having no experience no training no no guidance and I see that over and over again. I have now connected with a number of ex-members of the same cult and over and over again, they're crashing and burning, crashing and burning in their relationships. Yeah. Well, relationships are hard straight up oh, yeah. for anyone. But then when you didn't have any kind of healthy, balanced, uh, you know, give and take relationships to base, you know, what a relationship is on. right (laughs) and there's it's so closed it was so closed it was like you would have a very small amount of verbal contact beforehand decide that yes you were going to be with each other probably get engaged maybe I don't know four months after you'd started to know each other and then you'd be married then you'd move in the physical contact would start wow and by the way that was for life then yeah and you just accepted it. You sucked it up and you did it. And it wasn't always a success. You know, you've got domestic abuse and lots of other things that go on. Of course. But it was so different to being able to try before you buy and, you know, deciding what type of personality was right for you and whether you particularly liked their hobbies and where they lived. You didn't have any of those options. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's that's an arranged marriage. And arranged marriages are about property rights. And they're about family alliances. They're not about creating domestic harmony. No, and they're not based on love. No. Which is a whole different relationship. Love and respect. I love that you added respect. That's just so key for me. So you can't, my view is you cannot love somebody without respecting them. You can respect somebody without loving them, but not the other way around. Yes. Yeah. Respect is a prerequisite for love. And I think so many people do not understand that and go through most of their lives not understanding that. If I can share a personal anecdote here. So I went through a period of my life where I was making just spectacularly poor choices in my relationships and prioritizing romantic relationships over my family relationships and friendship relationships and things like this. A lot of things that, you know, young young people do. Um, 
But I had one relationship that was incredibly important to me, which was the relationship with my adoptive sister. She was my best friend and I, you know, we trusted each other implicitly and she was the person who, whenever I would, you know, get broken, she would put me back together and support me through anything. Well, I put a romantic relationship above that relationship. And she said something to me at that time, which just cut me to the bone. And she said, you understand love but you don't understand respect. All of this time, I've been respecting you, but you haven't been respecting me. You love me, I believe that, but you don't respect me. And I w argued with her, you know, and I said, no, no, you just miss, you know, you've misunderstood me or my intentions or whatever, blah, blah, blah. But she was absolutely right. She was absolutely right because I didn't even know what respect was. I wasn't expecting it from any of my relationships and I wasn't offering it either because I didn't know what it was or how to do it and for two years she didn't talk to me two years and during those two years it was the best thing that could have happened because during those two years I broke myself down and figured out why is this happening why am I losing these people that actually matter to me and built myself up from scratch <laughs> and figured out what respect was and so I came back to her two years later, very respectfully, apologized, offered to make amends, and she accepted. And now we're closer than ever. But I think so many people go through their lives just never having been respected. And it mm -hmm. definitely sounds like that's what happened to you, that you were in a situation where women just aren't respected, particularly. Totally, totally. And I... I have to say, after um, when I got it started getting into these relationships, it was so painful. I mean, it was on top of having been bullied for years and trying to make a stand for myself and leaving, and then to find myself back in that position was like, I can't function. I am just not able to function. The pain is so high, and mercifully, I stumbled upon a workshop. Did a couple of workshops around love relationships, and. Um, one was called the invitation of love the other one was called balance of power amazing and I will never forget them and they've been completely life-changing and one of the things they allowed me to see a lot of things in relationships but mm -hmm. one of the major things I saw was the pattern in which I was conducting my relationships firstly how I was modeling what my parents had mm -hmm. and I do believe they loved each other and that you know they were they were great together but I was I was very much following in their footsteps and came to see I didn't want that I didn't want that for myself that wasn't the type yeah. of person I wanted as a partner was the person my father was and then I also yeah came to see the pattern I was taking in them so you know this outwardly confident bubbly personality which attracted guys like flies to honeypot because I was confident which in itself is sexy it's attractive and then because I had really nobody outside of them as soon as we did that it kind of clicked and we were now in a relationship I didn't want to let go of them I wanted to do everything I could to keep them and the, the low self-esteem that was underneath that bubbliness didn't take long to get impacted and then I would just let them walk all over me so that I wouldn't lose them and I just became this puppy dog that mm -hmm. would just lie there and go do whatever you want because I, I don't want to lose you I've got no one else outside of this yeah 
And it was that kind of waking up and going, you know what? This really isn't serving me. This isn't what I want to keep doing. And there were, <laughs> very fast, there became two prerequisites for me in a relationship. One was I wanted an assertive person, not a weak personality, because being confident, I was attracting weak personalities. And then as, as absolute um, power crops, absolutely, so does absolute weakness. And in my absolute weakness, these weak personalities who weren't used to having power were becoming abusive with it. Yep. I was like, okay, I need an assertive person that's going to meet me in the middle. I'm going to stand up for myself as well. And we're going to have that um, respectful kind of tension as opposed to way over one way or way over the other. So it's in the middle there. And I also wanted someone (laughs) that, and I I laugh, but I shouldn't laugh. Another prerequisite is that they had to have had a daughter. Because I tend to date up quite a lot. I date up by at least 20 years. I wanted them to have had a daughter. I wanted them to have understood the pain a woman can go through and how she needs protecting and caring for because I had a lot of healing to do. Mm. And I needed someone who was really strong in themselves and wasn't questioning their own life and what they should be doing because I wasn't in a position to support that. I was doing all of that work myself in a major way. I could not support their journey at that point in time. I was desperately trying to heal so that I could become a an even partner with them and I just kept picking up all these broken people yeah so there was a lot of stuff I needed to look out there in a short space of time thank goodness because it wasn't you know I've gone through at least three times when I have very seriously come close to committing suicide because it was just raw pain and you don't want suicide you want the pain to stop yeah absolutely Absolutely. So those workshops sound amazing and like they really helped you recognize some important patterns. What uh, self-work did you do after that to kind of create a basis for like self-respect and self-love? Because I know that that's, again, a prerequisite for being in a relationship with anyone else. Yeah, a healthy relationship. Yeah. Um, I think one of the things I've done and continue to do is to be very protective of my energy I am a giver I'm an empath too Mm -hmm. and you know takers turn up in flocks when they see that sure do and you just have to know it's not bad to have boundaries it's not bad to protect yourself and I I still feel like I walk away from a lot of people and I'm sure I actually don't um, I'm sure that I just walk away from a healthy amount of people that weren't supposed to be around, but it <laughs> right. still feels like a lot when you're an empath and you have been a people pleaser. Yes. yes. And actually, you spoke about your sister earlier, and I, I've had a, fr- I mean, I've just said to you, my friendships are really new, they're still taking roots, but I had a friend who went through a lot of these relationships, went through at least at least one of the courses with me and then stayed around we went through similar patterns in our relationships and then she just disappeared this year and that kind of hurt I was like wow you just walked away and I would have supported you and looking back I'm like thank fuck she did Mm -hmm. because my journey's gone on I'm in a a very stable and happy relationship now happily engaged congratulations actually, complete soulmate yeah wonderful I'm wonderful so pleased so lucky so happy genuinely am um but hers hasn't she's still stuck in the same place and not only would yeah. that pull the traction back but I also believe me stepping out and not being that prop will make her face her own work much like you did 
Absolutely. One of the things I have learned over and over is that if you are taking pain away from someone, you are taking power away from that person because pain can be powerful. Facing your pain is your greatest teacher. And so if you're buffering someone from that pain, you are taking away from them the opportunity to learn and grow and change. Yes, yes, yes. And I've seen that with other with other friendships. You know, I've had, I used to have a lot of male friends because I just didn't seem to, I don't know, I just didn't really seem to find growing up. I, my interests were similar to the women in there. Obviously, that's why I've left. So I guess yeah. that's why I gravitated towards the men. Um, and having left some of the male f- friendships I've developed, you know, I'd be... <laughs> I'd be up till all hours taking calls from them when they were suicidal or they had problems or they were having constant cycles with exes and I was like you come and you dump all this at my door and then you go back into it because you've had your pain relief yeah you've had your yep. pain relief and you're not sorting it you're just dumping it and in the meantime you know I'm ruining some of my relationships because I'm spending all this time taking care of you yeah the kindest thing I could do is to walk away from providing that painkiller so that you wake up and figure out you need to get your shit together. A hundred percent. So everyone out there listening, (laughs) you know, when that's happening, right? You know, when that's happening, when someone's using you as a, you know, a pain relief uh, balm, stop doing that. Honestly, the kindest thing you can do for that person is just to stop being that for them. I promise. So let's switch gears here. We're at about the point where I usually do this. So I'm going to do a little exercise with you, if you don't mind. So you can close your eyes or open them, however you feel most comfortable. But I want you to, uh, so I'm going to wave my little magic wand here, okay? I have just made all your wishes come true. Everything that you desire on a deep soul level has just come to pass. And so I just want you to look around your life as it is right now in this ideal space. See what you see, hear what you hear, smell what you smell, taste what you taste, and just describe for me what this perfect life is like. It smells of country. Mm. Smells of space and fresh air. And peace, yeah, tranquility, but there's a high vibe to it. Mm-hmm. It's Busy, but relaxed, if that makes sense. There is plenty going on, but not overwhelming. Yeah. What can you feel? Earthy textures, so wood and stone. Mm-hmm. Is the stone it's cool or warm? Warm. Mm. And it's smooth. Mm-hmm. And there's a lot of light. Do you hear anything? Nature. Mm-hmm. There's birds and there's obviously my chickens. 
obviously. There's the sound of loving voices. What's bringing you meaning in this space? Can you rephrase that? Absolutely. Is there something that you do in this ideal life that really brings you feeling of meaning and purpose? I don't know that this really answers your question, but I feel like the most important thing is that I feel a sense of just being Mm -hmm. rather than having to be productive. Yep. So I want you to picture for a moment that there's someone here in this space that looks up to you. Now that could be a child or it could be someone else, but this person really looks up to you and they see you just being and just being content. And I want you to see them kind of getting that. And tell me what that feels like for you. Having that example of you just being. Just incredibly fulfilling. I just feel like it fills me up. Yeah. Yeah, I just, I can't, I feel like I just kind of fill out, if you know what I mean, like you blow up a balloon, just fulfilling, I think that's the only way I can put it. Yeah, feel your energy just filling that space, just filling that space with your content. And it's seeping into everything and everyone else in that space. Is there anything else you want to share about it? I think it adds, does it add meaning? It improves the quality of my relationship even more. Mm hmm. Mm hmm. I want you to take a moment and see your partner in this space and just feel, like you said, that deepening of this relationship in this space of calm and peace and balance. So now I want you to think back. You're looking back into your memory from this space. What had to happen for this to be possible? Did anything need to change from what you're doing now so that this space, this life could be? Mm. 
My initial reaction is absolutely, but I can't tell you what. So I need to do some digging. And that's fair. That's absolutely fair. So my, uh, I guess, homework for you or <laughs> suggestion is that you find something that can bring you back into this space. And sometimes it's an image. Sometimes it's a sound or a piece of music. Sometimes it's a, a texture like that, that warm stone that you talked about. But find something that helps to put you into this space and just stay there for a little while every day, creating this feeling for yourself. And keep trying to look back and just see what the path was and anything, any routines that needed to be set, any commitments that needed to be made in order for this to be possible for you. That really crystallizes the journey, the, the ladder, as it were. Yeah. Wow. That is my gift to you. Thank you. That's, that's, that's priceless. That's really priceless, that. Thank you. Yeah, I can, I can just literally see the ladder and I'm like, I just want to know what those rungs what the labels are on those rungs yeah it'll come to you it'll mm. come to you mm. and sometimes it's just being open to that energy and allowing yourself to shift a little bit over here a little bit over there seeing opportunities and going through doors it doesn't have to be a specific path it's just having that destination can really help your energy align to it mm. I'm definitely going to be listening to this back. Good. Good. So what I do is I have a little slideshow that I watch every morning. It's just 15 seconds long, <laughs> but it's just a few images and a little song. And that just really puts me emotionally in that space of where I want to be. And it changes. I put in different images sometimes and, but it, it really helps set the tone for my day and to remind me that I don't actually physically have to be in that space to have those emotions. I can do that right now. I can start feeling those feelings immediately. Very true. Very true. And this, I will know a lot of this I know, and it's like, it's actually having it and getting it and doing it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah and there's just, knowing and then there's feeling yes yes and acting on it mm -hmm. and I feel like you just gave a, a window like a portal and I'm only quiet for once because I'm really thinking <laughs> not because I'm not interested I'm just really thinking yeah I love that. I'm going to leave this in. I'm not going to, I'm not going to cut this down because I want people listening to have that breathing space too, to really think about this for themselves too. So take your time. Mm. I want, yeah, I, I'm definitely, I need to go back to that place you took me to and just walk through those steps mm -hmm. as in the questions you're asking, because I really want to know more. Like I feel 
obviously because I've been doing a lot of healing I feel like there's more I need to let go of yeah in order to reach where I want to reach and yet I feel like I'm in some ways holding so tightly to things that aren't helping it's amazing how tightly we hold on to things that are holding us down we just hold on to those stones that weigh us down don't we (laughs) certainly yeah yeah and I'm like you know I I just want to know what what it is I need to let go of (laughs) because then I wouldn't want to you know I'd want to let go of them as quick as I could yeah a beautiful meditation that I was taken through recently uh, by a guy, Daniel Bruce Levin. He's wonderful. You should look up his book, The Mosaic. Um, But he did this wonderful meditation called the trash man meditation. Mm -hmm. And he, he has this character in his book of the trash man and how, you know, we, we overlook this man who is so important and takes away all these things that we don't want anymore. And that would be gumming up our space and causing problems if it was still here. Right. Yes. And so it's this beautiful meditation of giving everything to the trash man. Just let, let him have it take, you know, and giving him things that we think we need, giving him everything, everything we think we are, every story that we think defines us, everything, just give it to the trash man and be in the void for a moment, have nothing and realize, wait, I'm okay. I'm okay. I didn't need any of that stuff. And then ask the universe to fill you with what is really yours. What is yours and cannot be taken from you. And it's a very powerful experience. So that's another one that you can, yeah, that you can try. We get in our own way so often (laughs) that's all we do we are our own worst enemy and I feel like I'm doing it right now right now (laughs) at this time I feel like I'm doing it in the biggest way possible and it's doing my head in if I'm honest and I'm like but I can't see around it and it's just like you know if I could only get out of my own way I'd be able to see past myself and it's just yeah Well, I'd love to work with you some more, but we're almost out of time here. So please tell the lovely people at home where they can find you. Okay, so you are very welcome to either connect with me on Facebook under Jessie Shedden, or you can pop over to my website, which is jessieshedden.com, where you are more than welcome to download the first chapter of my book, Tomorrow's Not Promised, there for free. Beautiful. Thank you so much for joining me today. It's been a real pleasure. Thank you so much for being here to witness that. After all, a story with no audience to receive it is like a plant with no soil to take root in. If you found this episode worthwhile, please pass it on. And if you've got a story the world just isn't quite getting, I'm here to help. Check out my website, thatsallowed.com, to get your free ideal scene meditation and start releasing your masterpiece today.